Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Well, I want to dive right into God's Word. If you will, go with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. And we read the scripture last week. We're in our series called Prioritize. And in this series, we're talking about what needs to be in what place in our lives. What's, what should take first place? What comes secondary? What's all of those things? Because there are things in our lives that should be there, but they're in the wrong place. And when things are in the wrong place, they cause stress. They cause pressure. They cause problems. And we read this scripture because the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians, in the first few chapters, he, he's talking about God's love for us and us being the church and what that looks like and all of these precious, precious promises that God gives us. And then he gets to chapter four and he starts, he makes a turn. The page turns a little bit and he says, now walk worthy of that calling. And he begins to give us the, the ways to live out being this glorious church that he's called us to be. And in Ephesians chapter 5, he starts talking about the way that the family models Jesus in the church. He draws this parallel between Jesus and the church. And I want to read what he said in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. This is the beginning of giving us the priorities of the family, beginning of giving us this direction, this order. He says, and further, submit. Everybody say submit. I know that's everyone's favorite word. And if you didn't say it, you didn't submit. And so <laughs> submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He began this, and we began last week in this series inside of a series, talking about the, the priorities of the family. And we began where the Apostle Paul began. He, he said this, and then he immediately started speaking to the women. So if you were mad at me last week because I started with the women, just know the Bible did. So I was following suit. But he gives us this direction for how to submit to one another. And let me, in a, in a sense, a very sober moment, let me just tell you, the thing that I'm talking about today is very much under attack. And not only is it under attack by, in the ways that we think it is, we think it's under attack by culture, and it is. It's under attack by media, it is. We think it's just the way the young people think today. But the fact is, is that we've opened up doors to the enemy, that he strategically come in to destroy the family. And if he can get us off of what I'm talking about today, if he can get us off of God's order for the family, he can destroy a culture. He can destroy a society. And that's exactly what he's been doing. He's been targeting the roles of men and targeting the roles of women and destroying the fabric of the family. And we think it's just because it's our rights being taken away. No, it, this is much bigger than you. Because if he can destroy the family unit, he can destroy the culture. And let me just tell you something about the enemy. He hates you. 
that's the way sin works, isn't it? Sin comes in and we think it's about us and us enjoying ourselves when the end goal of that sin is absolute devastation and destruction, but all we see is the pleasure we have in the moment. It's the same for our culture. It's the same for the roles of a husband and a wife. We think somehow we're losing something or not getting something if we don't get it our way. When our way is against God's way, our way, we may think it's for our benefit, but it's for our detriment. God's way is the best way, and it's the one that brings life. It's the one that brings blessing. It's the one that helps us. But the enemy so twisted it and gotten us to the point where we look at the role of a wife or a mom, and we think, that's, that's, you're taking away from her value. Are you kidding me? There's no greater thing that you'll do than to raise a family and love them and bless them. There's so many, so many like attacks against that. And men, the same is for you. The enemy's gotten us to the place where we look at the role of being a man as either being this quote-unquote alpha dominating figure that no one wants to be around because you're a jerk or a weak, emasculated nothing of a man that stands for nothing and adds no value and is only selfish and about getting his needs met. Neither one of those are the picture of what masculinity is supposed to be. Men, I want to challenge you this morning. I want to come after you this morning, but I'm doing it because I love you and because the Word of God says so. But one of the best definitions of what being a man is I've ever heard, is, I heard it a couple years ago and it's never left me. Masculinity is the glad acceptance of sacrificial responsibility. That's the best definition I've ever heard. Masculinity is the glad acceptance of sacrificial responsibility. It's not just, I guess I'll take it on. It's the give me that, I'll take it. If there's a problem, I'll take care of it. If there's a conflict, I'll initiate it. It's the glad acceptance. Isn't that what Jesus did? He's the perfect man. Why is he the perfect man? Because he initiated this whole relationship. He initiated when we were far away from God. He's the one who stepped up and said, I'll take care of it. I'll pay for their sin so that they can be made right with the Father. He was the perfect man. Why? Because he took responsibility. So that's what I want to talk about today. Let's go right to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. This is where we started last week. It says, For wives, this means submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. And in verse 25, he shifts from talking to the wives to talking to the husbands. And he says, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. And I want to focus on the beginning of that because it says, for husbands, this means. Well, that's kind of odd wording. What is that? Why does it say it like that? Because this is a continuing thought. 
This is not an original statement that's beginning a new paragraph. This is a continuing thought from what he said in verse 21, which was what? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He says, wise, this is how, this is your role in submitting to God and submitting to your husband. And now he says, husbands, this is the way you submit to God and the way you submit to your wives. We both submit to one another. But the way we submit to one another looks differently. And he says, for husbands, this means love your wives. So the way you submit to her is by loving her. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her. Now, I've learned this. This type of love is much more than words. And I've learned this about men. Men, we're either generally in one or two categories. We're the type of man that we can say all of the right things. We say how much we love our wives, but we don't do it. Or we work hard to try and please our wives, but we never say it. And some of you live by the mantra that I said I loved you once. If it changes, I'll change. I'll let you know. I mean, that doesn't work. It doesn't work, but we're called not only to use our words, but to use our actions to show our wives that we love them. And the comparison that's made in our love for our wives is Christ and the church. We are to love them the way that Jesus loved the church. Well, what did Jesus do for the church? If this is what we're supposed to do, what did he do? And that's what we're supposed to do. And I'll tell you what he did. He served the church. He served the church. He led the church. He initiated the relationship. He spoke truth to the church. And ultimately, he died for the church. And there are many men in this building that if I were to ask you, would you take a bullet for your wife, you would say, absolutely, in a heartbeat. And you would do that, but the problem is you wouldn't die to your own selfish desires for her. You'll take a bullet, but you won't tell yourself no. Right? You'll jump, you'll jump in front of a moving vehicle, but you won't, you won't text her to let her know that you're coming home from work late. We're going there. Jesus served the church. He led the church. He initiated the relationship. He spoke truth to the church, and he ultimately died for the church. Why? Because he loved the church. Men, we're called to love our wives the way Jesus loved the church. Can I just, let me ask you a question. What's the opposite of love? I figured most people would say hate. And that's a good guess, but it's not completely accurate. Because the opposite of love is not really hate. The opposite of love, look up here, don't miss this, is selfishness. That's the opposite of love. Why? Because this is, how do you know if you love someone, you do stuff for them, you take care of them, You serve them. You help them. You're affectionate with them. You make sure they're taken care of and their needs are met. You love is giving. 
Selfishness is taking. Love says you. Selfishness says me. So the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is selfishness. As a matter of fact, some of the reasons why we hate people is because they, they cross our selfishness. So when the Bible is telling us as men to love our wives, the opposite of that is just being selfish and thinking about you all the time. That's what God is after. That's the opposite, the, the antithesis of what the, he's trying to communicate. And what Jesus did is when we're always thinking about us, 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 me, 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 I. And as a reminder, men, I told this to the ladies last week, to our wives last week. I want to remind you, if we're looking at the order of the family, I mean, it starts the same way it started with them. It's not about you. If you want your family to run properly, if you want your family to be ordered the way God wants it ordered, you have to know without a shadow of a doubt, it is not about you. So keep that in mind as I preach this message. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. I'm going to go back there for a moment. Because the Bible calls us as husbands the head of the family. Well, if we are the head of the family, why are we the head of the family? What's the purpose of us being the head of the family? In that same book, the book of Ephesians in a different chapter, an earlier chapter, and I believe this is stemming from what Paul says in the first chapter. In the very first chapter, this is what he says about Jesus. Verse 19, it says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or, or anything else, not only in this world but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ, don't miss this, and has made him what? Say that again, has made him what? Head over all things for the benefit of the church. So the, Jesus being the head is for the benefit of the church, the same way that husbands being head of the family is for the benefit of the family. You're the leader, not so you can sit back and have people fan you, with, fan you and give you peeled grapes. I've never met a man that that's happened for, by the way. But you're not the leader for that. You're not the leader so that you can get. You're the leader so that you can give. You're the leader so you can protect. You're the leader so you can provide for. You are the leader for the benefit of the family. To serve them. To lead them. To initiate. To speak truth and to lay down your life for them. I met with a precious man just this past week in our church. And I met with a lot of people this week, so if you're thinking it's you. <laughs> but I met with a precious man this week, and his wife is unable to attend church with him because of health reasons. And we're talking, and we're talking about his life and his story, and he said something so amazing to me. He said, you know, my wife is, 
she's sick, she's not able to make it. And he said, it's my honor to take care of her. It's my honor to tend to her. Most of us men don't think that way. But that is the picture of what a man is. A man is not there to get. He serves. He gives. And I listened to this man and just thought, and there have been others in, this, in our congregation that have lived, lived this principle out. That is a picture of what a man is. Tending to, taking care of. That term, husband, that's a gardening term. Did you know that? A husbandman is what they call people who take care of gardens. And they tend to the garden. They pull out the weeds. They, they, they make sure that it has everything that it needs in order to flourish. They call that a husband. Men, your wives are your garden. And if it's full of weeds, guess whose responsibility that is? If it's not getting what it needs, guess whose responsibility that is? I have so many ways I can go with that illustration, but I'm going to keep going. Verse 25 says, For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Now, how many of you have ever wondered, what does that even mean? Thank you. One honest person, Michelle said at last service, but she sat in last service, so now she knows the answer. Most of us have read that and don't necessarily understand what it means. I want to explain to you and tell you what that means. When it says, talking about Jesus, what he did with the church, he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Does that mean that you're supposed to go home and give your wife a bath? Some of y'all are like, woo! I like this church. <laughs> men last week, bunch more men coming this week. I heard last week's message, Pastor. I invited all my friends. Everybody coming. Washing her with the word. What did Jesus do with us? Jesus came and addressed our dysfunctional thinking. He addressed the lies that we believe. He addressed the things that, that we thought were right, and he came with God's word and washed us and cleaned us. He gave us direction when we were directionless. He spoke truth when we believed lies. What was he doing? Washing us with God's word. Men, it's your responsibility to wash your wives with God's word. Because there will be moments where, is she smarter than you? Probably. Some of y'all, she's stronger than you too. <laughs> but it's still your job to protect. It's still your responsibility to provide. And with this, it's still your responsibility, listen to me, to speak truth where there have been lies implanted in her soul. That means when she's discouraged, don't get mad at her. Why are you so discouraged? Didn't you hear Pastor Gabe's message? No, no, speak truth to her. Wash her with God's word. 
There have been lies that she's believed since she was a little girl that you have the truth of what God's word has said about her that you can wash her with. That's part of being that husbandman. We take the responsibility. You know, we blame Eve for eating the fruit, but here's the question. Where was Adam? Where was Adam? Did Eve eat the fruit? Yes, she did. Of course she did. But one of two things is true about Adam. Either Adam wasn't standing guard over her like he should have, which my question was, there was only two of y'all. Where else was he? What else was he doing? Looking up going, I'm going to call that one a giraffe. Either he wasn't there standing guard, or worse, he stood passively by and watched it happen. And when God came to bring judgment, God, yes, he brought judgment to both of them, but the one he addressed was the man. Because it was the man who was responsible. It was the man that heard the word of God. It's the man who heard the direction, don't do this. And it was the man who let it happen. So men, Jesus is our example. He was the perfect man. Why? He engaged and he spoke truth. He stepped into difficult, hard situations and spoke the the truth of God's word. That's our job as well. That's our role. So part of being a spiritual leader, listen to this. I'm going to talk about this more. I'm going to get real practical in a minute. But yes, it's praying for your wife. But it's much more than just praying for your wife. I'm going to get to that. And that is vital. That's the basics of being a husband. But it's not just, it's not just praying. It's hearing. Hearing what God's will is for your family. And telling your wife that. Baby, I feel like this is what God is saying. And most of the time, you know what she's going to do? Baby, God's been telling me the same thing. And going to confirm God's will. And that's the direction that you all walk in. Let me tell you what happens when you do that. And there will be times when she doesn't agree. Because guess what? She's not perfect the same way you're not. And there will be those moments where you know this is God's will for our family. And in those moments when there's disagreement and she ultimately says, okay, I'm going to trust you. And it works out. You know what you gain? You You gain equity with your wife. You gain trust with your wife. I am not a perfect husband, but I can tell you this. My wife trusts me. And you want to know why she trusts me? Because I've made many decisions that I didn't want to make that wasn't even necessarily best for me, but they ended up being what was best for our family, and I heard from God and did the hard thing. That's why. Because she trusts, she trusts most of the time that I'm going to make the best decision for our family, not just the best decision for myself. Because I'm going to humble myself and pick up the phone and call other men that are wiser than myself and get their wisdom on situations. Even when it's hard and it's humbling, I'm going to do it anyway. Because I'm going to pray and seek God and ask God, God, what is your will for us? I'm going to talk more about this in a moment, but let's keep going. Verse 27, 
He did this to present her to himself. He washed her with the word to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cared for the church, and we are members of his body. I want to hang up on that one word, and I want to pause and talk about that, that one phrase, rather. In the same way. In other words, do what Jesus did. Do it the way that he did it. Follow his example. And some of you will say, well, pastor, you don't, you don't know my wife. She's hard to deal with. You don't think the church is hard to deal with? You don't think Jesus ever looks at the church and we're just the easiest in the, in ever to lead? She doesn't believe in me. Sounds like the church. She's always so negative. Sounds like the church. She doesn't want to give me any credit. Sounds like the church. She doesn't do what I asked her. Um... She thinks her way is always the right way. Yep. (laughs) Yet we're called to love our wives the way Jesus loves the church. To love, listen to me, and to lead. She is yours. You are the head. She is the body. You are one. You belong to her, and she belongs to you. You are one. You're one. One of the many reasons why it's tough for wives to follow the direction of her husbands, and I've alluded to this, but when we make our decisions solely based on what's going to benefit us, and we expect her to just come along, we expect her to face all of the negative consequences for our selfish actions, we expect her to be okay with us putting our kids in danger or at risk all because of something that we selfishly want. Why? Because I'm the leader. You're supposed to submit to me. Yeah, but you're supposed to submit to her as well. Amen. Yeah. And man, I, I said this to the wives or a version of this, but when you are selfish, you're not just hurting yourself, you're hurting your whole family. When you're selfish, when you take advantage of your wife, you are hurting your whole family. When, you're, when you passively sit back and do nothing when you're supposed to engage, you are hurting your whole family. And not just your whole family immediately, you're hurting generations to come. I thank God, and I know men in this church who you come from long lines of men who were unfaithful to their wives, long lines of men who abused their wives, men who were selfish. And you've broken those curses and your children are benefiting from it. And your grandchildren are benefiting from it. Why? Because you did the hard thing now. But the opposite is true as well. When you take the easy way out, you are hurting your kids and you're hurting their kids and they will have battles to face Hear me. Your grandkids will have battles to face because of the battles you didn't win today. They will. That's not a sly moment. Some of you need to hear that. That's a prophetic word for your future. 
If you don't deal with it now, you leave it for your grandkids to deal with and fix. Be pure now. Be faithful now. Deal with the lying and the addictions now so that they don't have to. I want to give you ways to submit to your wives, ways to lead like Jesus. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. If you want to look really good in front of your wife, write this down. (laughs) Number one, be a servant leader. Be a servant leader. Ask yourself the question, how can I serve my wife? Because yes, I'm the leader like Jesus, but how did Jesus lead? He led by serving. He led by washing the feet of his disciples. He led by doing the hard, difficult task that in the moment nobody wanted to do, but he was willing to do it. Why? Because he was, he was giving us an example of what true leadership actually is. Serve your wives. And let me go, let's get real practical for a moment. I've mentioned this book before, the the five love languages. We've talked about it many, many, many times. And the premise of the book is basically this. You receive love in generally one or two of these five ways. This is not a hard, fast rule. Some of you are like, I'm this. Okay, whatever. It's a general statement. One of two of these ways are the ways that you receive love. And your spouse has it, their one or two ways that they receive love. These were the ways. Number one, quality time. Spending quality time with one another. The second one, acts of service. Physical touch. Gifts or words of affirmation. Husbands, ask yourselves, which one is my wife? And if you don't know, ask her. And meet those needs. Serve her that way. Listen, I am, I am not a physical touch person. I will hug. I love hugging. But it's the random people putting their hands thing that wears me out. Okay. But my wife is physical touch. So that means I'll reach over and I'll grab her hand. I'll rub her back. Not because I love rubbing her back so much as I know she loves me rubbing her back and I'm meeting her needs. Listen to this. Look up here, men. With no strings attached. (laughs) No strings, just meeting her love language. Listen, one of her love languages is acts of service. It wasn't before she had kids, but now it's acts of service. If my, and my wife's like, baby, you look hot when you're washing dishes. I'm like, give me that Dawn soap. I'm about to, <laughs> about to be bubbles all over this kitchen, woman. Because <laughs> we have to show them that we love them and we serve them. And it may, listen, if your wife's is gifts and you don't have much money, listen, get her what you can. But just keep meeting that need. Keep meeting the need. Words of affirmation. Pastor, I'm just not good with words. Learn to be. Learn to be. You also didn't know how to be a husband before you became one, but you're still growing in it. So learn it. Why? Because it's for the benefit of the body. 
It's for her benefit that you are who you are. When you have a choice between doing what's best for you and doing what's best for the family, always pick the family. Always pick the family. Put her needs before yours. And last week I talked to you wives and I told you not to put your kids above your husband, which is so true. Generally speaking, most men don't put their kids above their wives, generally speaking. But what we put above our wives is ourselves. So stop putting yourself, your need, what you want above her needs. Let's get real practical. Open doors for her again. Open doors for her again. Be chivalrous again. Right? Compliment her again. Do what you did in the very beginning. When you wanted her, when you were trying to convince her of your love, go back to that and do that for her again. Be a gentleman. Text her that you love her randomly. Again, with no expectation on the back end, just to let her know that you love her. And I'll tell you this, man, I'm not a perfect husband. They are great, great, great examples of, of husbands that I follow, men like Pastor Jacob Aranza. He taught me more about loving my wife by simply watching the example of how he loved his. And I can remember 16 years ago sitting in these very pews watching him grab his wife's hand as she walked up the stairs of this church, listening to how he used his words to wash her, to speak over her who she really is. And man, I may not be perfect, but this is what I'm asking of you. Follow me in this. Because Miss Lauren Smith is loved, intended to, and taken care of. And I want her to be the most loved, taken care of woman in this entire church. Follow that example. Don't follow the broken examples that you've seen that haven't worked. Follow the ones that are working. Follow men like James Bertrand, how he loves his wife. How him and Candy follow their marriage. That's an example to follow. The way Brent Richard loves his wife. There's many others that I can go through the list. Those are examples to follow the way men love their wives. Do that. You're a leader to be a servant. And you know what that takes? It takes humility. It takes humility. Number two, this one's, the first one may be easier for some of you. This one's a little more difficult. Hear her. Hear her. As much, and this, I'm, I'm speaking generally, as much as you need physical intimacy, she needs emotional and communication intimacy. She needs that emotional connection. And the way that you do that is by slowing down so that you can hear her heart. Sometimes we get so busy, so caught up. I got to take care of this. I got to attend to this. And I've been working hard and I get home and the kids, I got to, okay, I got to spank them and she needs a spanking. And... <laughs> Poor card. And why is the house dirty? What do you mean dinner's not done? Okay, oh my God. And, and we don't slow down long enough to hear what's in her heart. Jesus is the perfect example. You talk about weight. 
the salvation of the world was on his shoulders. The salvation of the world was on his shoulders. I get it, you have a busy work week. But the salvation of the world was on his shoulders. And he would find the need from someone, slow down, stop the crowds of people to hear a need and meet it. What do you need? Do you want to be healed? Okay, be healed. He didn't walk by and be like, okay, Peter won't shut up today. John's crying. Yeah, y'all are, all, y'all are all healed. Okay, which he could have done. He could have. But he stopped. He engaged. At times he got down. What do you need? How can I help you? How can I serve you? Follow that example, men. Pastor, you don't know my wife. She's got a lot of words. It's going to take forever. (laughs) Can I submit to you? Part of the reason why she has so many words for you today is because you haven't listened for the last month. We're so guilty of rushing and going and quickly. another, Another point of hearing her is hearing the wisdom that she has to offer. Listen, I I don't shy away, and I'm going to talk more about this in a moment. The weight and the responsibility of the decision, men, is on you. But you would be a fool to not hear the wisdom and the perspective of your wife. You need it. She's going to see things differently than you because you were made differently than her. God put you two together. You You don't have a head without a body. You don't have a body without a head. If you do, it's called dead. You need one another. And so with that need, part of that is she's going to have things you don't have, and you need to stop and listen to what she, I listen, I listen to my wife's wisdom. I come home and deal with different situations all throughout the week. And I will ask her, babe, what do you think about that? How do you think I should handle that? Everything from dealing with people's lives and marriage problems and family issues to things that since the Lord said to me, down to babe, okay, which shoes should I wear to church this morning? I listen to her wisdom. I listen to her wisdom. And I need it. Now, in the same way that I told wives last week, your role is to submit to your husbands. It is. But you are not supposed to submit to sin. If they're asking you to sin, you don't submit to that. Right? But now hear this as well. Husbands, listen to the wisdom of your wives. But when your wives are giving you something that's not wisdom and they're trying to lead you to sin, don't you listen to that. Don't you listen to that. When she's in her emotions and in her feelings and you know she's not thinking through the word of God, you do what is right because God's word says it's right. Not as many claps, but I don't care. Let me just say this. I said this to another gentleman this week. And this, please hear my heart when I say this because it's the benefit and to help. The job of a husband is not to make your wife happy. We make that our goal. I gotta make her happy, I gotta make her happy, I gotta make her happy. That's not your job. That wasn't your vow to her. Your vow to her was to lovingly lead her, lay down your life for her, protect her, provide for her. 
There are so many times we're trying to simply make our wives happy, and in doing so, we're making her miserable because we're not leading. We won't step up to the plate and actually cross her will at times and disagree with her at times because you know what's best for the family and you see danger coming. But we don't do it because I just want to keep her happy. Can I tell you something? That's not happy. And that may sound like it's good, but it's not. And you're really not doing it for her. You're doing it because you know if she's not happy, then you're unhappy. So you're doing it for your own selfish motivation. Because I want to keep the peace. You've never been called to keep the peace. You're called to make peace. You're called to make it. And guess what happens? When you lead lovingly, she actually is happy. When you have tough conversations and you have iron sharpening iron, which is supposed to happen. And I have couples that tell me, we pastor, we never fight. That's great. Good for you. That's just not the case in my home. And we have a great marriage, but we have conflict. And that conflict ends up being very good because she helps me see things I don't see. And I help her see things that she doesn't see. And that complements one another and it ends up blessing our family. And we make the right decisions. I know it's quiet. She is your helpmate. Let her help you. Let her help you. Listen to her wisdom. Number three, prioritize her. Prioritize her. Here's a very practical way that you can prioritize your wives. Date her again. And I know sometimes I sound like a broken record when it comes to this, but ironically enough, I say it all the time, but I sit down with you in counseling enough to know that you're still not doing it. When I sit down to counsel couples, probably 98% of the times, I don't know if you know this, but 85% of all statistics are made up on the spot. (laughs) Probably 98% of the time, when I'm sitting with a couple and they're in conflict and they're having issues, I ask them these two very simple questions. Are you praying together? And are you still dating one another? And most of the time, the answer is no. So, men, if you don't get anything else out of this message today, start with those two things. If you do those two things, you'll be heading in the right direction. And I'm going to talk about praying for your wife in a moment. But pray for your wife, but then go back to dating her. Date her. Don't put that off on her either. You lead that. You lead that charge. We... We work so hard and get so busy doing everything to provide for the people that we never spend time with. We try to keep everything going and we're spinning all of the plates and we're missing out on the connection with supposedly the most important person in the world to us. Go back to dating her. Pastor, I don't have much money. Go get a cup of coffee at Jet Coffee. Cost you $5 for both of you. Go to Burger King. Not really. Don't do that, please. (laughs) But you get the point. (laughs) You don't always have to spend a ton of money to show your wife that she's important to you. 
to show her, I know we're busy, but more important than everything that I'm doing, you're more important to me. And men, this is how most men connect. Wives, just give us grace. This is how most men connect. We connect side by side, doing stuff together. Me and Elder James were riding around yesterday, doing, just hanging out together. It was awesome. Just the two of us hanging out, doing stuff. Women, men, connect this way, face to face, engaging, conversation. Me and James were sitting down going, James, let's talk about, like, I just need to, I need to, to see your eyes. He'd have been like, man of God, I'm going to Midtown. I'm not, <laughs> I'm doing this with you. Okay, but wives, most women, generally speaking, okay, they need that. So guess what, men? It's our responsibility to meet that need. It's our responsibility to sit down with her. And I'm going to put up, I'm going to just tell you, it needs to be often. Yeah. It doesn't need to be once a month. Some of you are like, like, once a month? Whew, I don't know if I have time. It needs to be once a week. Yeah. It needs to be once a week. We sit down at least once a week. Well, pastor, you, that's because you're a pastor, because all you do is work on Sundays. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Let me show you my phone. <laughs> but we make time. We make the time. And it doesn't have to be elaborate. It doesn't have to be Charlie G's. It doesn't have to be. It, it's me and her. That's the most important part. It's me and her. <laughs> I'm getting personal with y'all, but just I think it was last Friday. We went out and came home. We had to get back to the kids. And we kicked all of our kids out and made them stay in their room while we watched the movie together. And that was the rest of our date. <laughs> We're like, nope, y'all staying in your room. Mom and dad are going to watch this movie together. Right? It was a continuation of our date. What am I saying? Get creative. Connect with one another. That's what it took to get her. That's what it's going to take to keep her. And another thing I want to just attack in our culture, stop saying stupid stuff like my old lady. I got to go on my old lady, the old all ball and chain. You know how that is. <laughs> Can I tell you what that is? That's, that's also probably one of two things. That's either us being silly little boys who never grew up or us being passive and bitter. And instead of confronting what we need to confront with our wife, we throw passive little jabs. Both of them are wrong. Neither one of them are called being a man. Be a man. If there's something to be dealt with, deal with it. Deal with the tough issues in your family. Which I'm going to get to that also in a, mile, in a little bit. Let's keep going. Number four, cover your wives. Cover her. What does that mean? Let me give you some practicals for what that means. You are the spiritual covering of your home. Picture an umbrella. If it's raining outside, that umbrella is your covering that protects. That's what being the leader is. You are her covering. The first thing is pray for your wives. We pray almost every night together. And there are, there are a lot of nights when she'll fall asleep 
I still pray for her. She didn't even know it. Still pray for her. And there are nights whenever there's conflict. Most of the time, I still pray for her. <laughs> but I'm her covering. And that brings safety and stability to my wife. And I've talked to enough men in this church to know that. You're like, I don't, that's kind of hard for me, Pastor. I don't want to sound stupid. I don't want to. You don't have to have some big elaborate prayer. Grab that woman's hand and pray, God, bless her. Bless my kids. Protect us and guide us. Amen. That's how you lead. That's the basics of being a husband. That is the basics of being a husband. Pray for her. Cover her. Number two, and I alluded to this earlier, make the tough calls. When there are tough decisions and tough things that have to be decided for the sake of your family, don't you put that off on her. Don't you give that responsibility to her to make You bear the weight of that. You make that decision. And I know why you don't, because you're afraid she's going to criticize you if it doesn't go well. She's going to say something bad. She may, but it's still your role. It's still your responsibility. That's why you pray for wisdom. That's why you get godly counsel. That's why you try your hardest to make the best decision. You do what you can so she can trust your decision making. And listen, I'll tell you, I know when my wife is sliding out of a decision. I know because she'll we'll be talking and she'll say, you know what, baby, I trust you. And that sounds all nice and sweet. <laughs> but I know what she's really saying. What she's really saying is, this one is yours, big boy. <laughs> if this happens... Is on your watch. She just says it nicely. Now, she didn't always used to say it nicely, but she says it nicely now. And when she does that, you know what it does? Okay, the weight of this is on me. I got to carry this. I'm going to do it right. Pastor Jacob, what do you think? I'm serious. Pastor Paul, Elder James, David, the elders of our church, what do y'all think? Can y'all be praying for me as I make this decision? Ham, what are the ramifications of this? Right? That puts the weight where it's supposed to be on me. Because it's my responsibility to cover her. The third one, same point, but just a point to be made in this. Speak tough truth in love. Speak tough truth in love. That is how you cover her. You point out when things are going in the wrong direction with your family. As I mentioned, you're supposed to have conflicts. Not arguments. I'm not talking about going home and throwing stuff. Stop being weird. I'm talking about having disagreements where you sharpen one another. If you never have a a disagreement, somebody's lying. Somebody's not being forthcoming. But be able to have those tough conversations. And remember this. This goes for both husbands and wives. You can say anything with the right timing and the right tone. 
And there are moments where my wife and I do it for each other, where we have to pull each other aside and say, hey, baby, that wasn't okay the way you said that. When you said, I, I, that wasn't my heart, I get it. But when you said it, that's how it affected them. This came across, and this may not be what you meant, but that's what you said. I didn't mean it, but that's what you said. And we do that for one another. And I do that. Listen, my point in this to the men, I do that to my wife. And sometimes I do it, and it causes conflict. And it causes tension. And I would do it all over again for what's best for my family. Because that's what leaders do. The worst thing that a leader can do is not lead. It's to be passive and to sit back and you act like that's bringing peace, but it's bringing devastation to your family because it puts her in the place to have to be in the place that you were supposed to be. You are the gatekeeper of the home. So make t- have tough conversations, but do it in love and make sure she knows that you're doing it in love because the opposite extreme is the, the dictator that comes home. I want this, I want that. You need to do it like this, you need to do it like that. That's not love. That's still selfishness. Have the tough conflict, but do it in love. Stop. Can I just, can I lovingly say something as your pastor? Men, can I have your permission to do this? Stop being a wuss. Stop shying away from conflict with your wife when you know you're supposed to have it to do what's right for your family. Be a man. I don't know, I don't know how she's going to take it. She may not like it at all, but you are still responsible for her and those kids. Lead well. Lead right. I know big, huge, strong, powerful men that when they get home, stop it. Be a man. Lead with love, but lead And then when it comes to leading, be strong, be stable, and be consistent. When you know something is right for your family, you know this is the will of God, this is what the word of God says, even if it causes conflict, stand. Stand. You may be locking horns with your wife. Stand anyway. Again, not for your benefit. I'm not talking about being stubborn for your own selfish benefit. I'm talking about being stubborn for what God says is right for your home and for your family. Stand. I was talking to a very wise, wise, wise pastor in my life. And he said, when it comes to dealing with conflicts and things like that with your wife, he said, my goal, my goal is to do it the right way. Because if I, do, if I do it the wrong way, the Holy Spirit has to deal with me first before he even gets to her. But if I do it the right way, God can go, I can step right out of the way and God can go deal with her heart. God can get to what he needs to in her because I've done it the right way. Man, make that your goal, that if you're going to lead, do it with love. Don't come home, this is the way it's going to be from here. That's called being a fool. <laughs> but you do rise to the occasion. Man, I'm just in this vein. Let me just say this. 
We like to have the conflict when we're angry because it feels safer. But when things aren't good, or when things, excuse me, are going well, that's actually the best time to engage a conflict. Some of us don't say how we really feel until things are almost over. There have been plenty of people who are signing the divorce papers and they start hearing from one another how they really felt and they thought, that's it? I could have fixed that. But because you never opened it up, we've ended this whole thing. Because it's called engaging in times of non-conflict. Don't miss this. Look up here. When things are going well, that's the time to deal with things that need to be dealt with. But when you're blowing up in a fight, yeah, and, you're, and, you all, and your mama said this when we were getting married. Oh. I thought we were arguing about money. And you start, th- listen, deal with what's in your heart so you can have legitimate peace. And then lastly, lastly, number five. Somebody said amen because I said lastly, okay. (laughs) Be the initiator. Be the initiator. Remember this. Jesus initiated this relationship with us. Young men, can I challenge you? Those of you who are unmarried, you need to initiate the relationships that you have. There are plenty godly women sitting in this church who are waiting for you to rise up. They're waiting for you to step up to the plate and ask that woman out. Tell that woman that I'd like to take you to coffee. Initiate the relationship. Instead, you play it safe and you sit back. Oh, I don't know. I'm going to see. I'm going to let her throw 18 different hints, slide me her number, and let five of her friends tell me it's safe. No, be a man. What if she rejects you? What if she accepts you? Initiate the relationship. And wives, ladies, let me say this. This is a big statement. This is a big statement. If he wouldn't even initiate the beginning of the relationship, what makes you think he's going to initiate and lead the rest of the relationship? Be the initiator. Husbands, let's go here for a moment. We get so mad at the lack of of sexual intimacy in our marriages. And we dealt with that last week from the wife's part her willingness to tend to that area of your life, even when she doesn't necessarily want to. We, did, we dealt with that. If you weren't here, go listen to the message. But if you haven't been intimate with your wife in quite some time and you haven't initiated that intimacy, it's your fault. It's your fault. You are the leader. You even initiate the intimacy. And is it nice to feel wanted? Of course. In those moments when your wife initiates, that's a great treat. Praise God. But most of the time it needs to be you. And some of you sit back and go, well, we hadn't slept together in a month. And she's going, well, you hadn't asked. 
You haven't asked. Well, I was scared you were going to reject me. Get over that. Initiate. That is still your role. That is still your job. That hasn't gone away. If there's something in your family that needs to change, men, you initiate it. If there's something that needs to be said for the betterment of your family, you initiate it. You speak up. You say it. You are the spiritual leader of your family. That goes beyond, yes, I pray. You do need, that's the basics. But if you haven't, and I know I'm speaking to people at church right now, but if you haven't been to church in a while and your family hasn't gone, don't wait for her to initiate it. Say, baby, we're going to church Sunday. We're going to get there at the early game because the Saints play today, which I know they play Monday was while y'all are here, but anyway. <laughs> Confessions of a pastor, Cody, I don't know. But you lead the charge and say, we're going to church. If your marriage is in conflict, don't wait for her to set up an appointment to meet with me or one of our pastors. You set it up. If there's conflict and tension and I've been there, I hate this, but it's still my role. When you're mad at one another and you're, I don't like her and she doesn't like me and she needs to apologize, but I also know I need to. Don't wait for her to initiate the reconciliation conversation. You do it. You say, baby, can we talk? Can we have that conversation? And lead the charge. Why? Because you are the leader. Because you're the leader. And men who are single, if you know the relationship that you're in is not right, you lead the charge and make it right. Don't wait for her to say, baby, you know we need to get married to be right with God. You do it. You're the man. Lead the charge. It's what men do. It's what real men do. Are y'all with me? What am I saying? We're the head for the benefit of the body. We bear the responsibility, the weight for the body for our bride, for our kids. And it should be our joy to do so. I end with this. Chapter 5, verse 31. This is where Paul ends this portion. He says, As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. That's a whole nother message, but some of you need to stop letting your in-laws dictate your marriage. Paul said, this is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. The way Christ and the church are one is the way husband and a wife are supposed to be one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is your charge. This is the family priorities. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word, for this challenge, this charge. Thank you for calling your sons up to be the men that they're called to be. And Lord, I know there are men in this building who've made mistakes and they've messed up. They've messed this up and they know it. 
but I pray that you would bring redemption and that not only are you the God of a second chance, you're the God of another chance. And I pray they get up and they take the reins and they lead and they lead well. That they love and love well. That they initiate well. That they serve well. That they're willing to lay down their lives and their comfort level for their families and for their posterity, for the generations to come. Continue molding us so that when the world looks at the church, they see a picture of what it's supposed to be. Committed men. Men who when they said, I do, they meant it. Wives who follow and meet the needs and love and support their husbands while both of them move towards all the greatness that you've called their family to. I also pray, Lord, for every every lie and accusation of the enemy that will come to pull us away from this truth, I pray you expose. And let us see where that line of thinking leads so that we can follow yours. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give Jesus praise this morning. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray to release you on a few quick reminders on on your way out today. We're going to have our prayer team. They're going to be standing up front here if you need prayer for anything. Even if it's just my marriage needs prayer, my family needs prayer, come on up and let us pray with you. Also, a couple quick reminders. Cody mentioned it earlier, but our young adults ministry is watching the LSU game this Saturday in the student ministry building. But also this Wednesday, we have something for your teenagers called homecoming and It's going to be a big evangelistic moment for teenagers to hear how much God loves them and transform them. So I encourage you, bring a teenager, invite a teenager, get them here this Wednesday night to our student ministry. Stand to your feet. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your great faithfulness. Thank you for your love for the body, for the call of the church to represent you, Jesus, in the church. God, I pray that You would make your face shine on them. You would bless them in their going out and their coming in and all that they put their hands to. Let it be blessed for the sake of the kingdom. And I pray for us as a church to be a pure church that walks in the fear of the Lord, a persistent church in the face of challenges and a powerful church filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name and all God's people say, amen.